Hello, welcome to the Marriage Underdogs radio show podcast. I'm your host, Chris A. Matthews. And once again, I have a phenomenal guest. I would like to introduce you all to Dr. Elizabeth Polinski, who is a uh, therapist that specializes in working with couples. She's trained in EFT. We'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, she has a PhD in marriage and family therapist and a background in social work. How are you doing, doctor? I'm doing really good. Yeah, I'm doing really good. Thanks. Well, I'm excited we're, to be here. Yeah, we're so glad to have you. And um, we'll jump right into it. Those that have followed our show in the past, they they usually will be coming to my first question. I always love to learn from our guests, what led you to wanting to work with couples? Yes. Yeah, this is such a, it's such a good question because I think everybody has such a unique journey. Um, so I, when I, I always struggled in relationships myself, you know, before we started recording, you and I were talking about how there are um, statistics that um, are not even related necessarily to the specific relationship, but that impact kind of success rates in terms of divorce and whether people stay together. So for example, coming from a divorced family, I came from a divorced family. My parents were a dual military couple and military life played a pretty big role in their relationship decline. Um, and as I was going through, you know, my teen years and my young adult years and all of those uh, times, I just really struggled a lot in relationships. And so I was in counseling myself um, and my therapist was the one who first said, Liz, I think you should consider pursuing, pursuing counseling. Um, and so I did. And when I was in my master's program, I came across emotionally focused therapy, which is EFT for short, fell in love with the model during my master's program. But when I got out, I worked for the government, um, mostly for the Veterans Affairs Hospital, although I did work um, briefly for a state department of uh, mental health in South Carolina, actually, and because uh, I went to USC for my master's. <laughs> and um, and when I was in the government and working at the VA, the focus is just so heavily on individual counseling that there wasn't the opportunity for me to really pursue couples therapy the way that I wanted. And so when I met my husband, the person who's now my husband, I was working at the VA, predominantly doing trauma-based counseling, um, loved that job. I got to do like research and clinical training for, for social workers there at that hospital. And um, it was just a really awesome job. I did not want to leave. And, but um, my husband is in the military. And so when, when it came time to be like, okay, I guess I'm going to commit and start right. moving around, um, I decided to go back and and really learn couples therapy because it was a dream I had always wanted to do to learn um partially because of the struggles that I experienced but also that my um parents experienced I can look at that generationally going back mm -hmm. my my mom uh my mom's parents were never together um my 
dad's parents, there were multiple divorces um, uh, for his mom and remarriages. So I can like, anyway, I just knew that like I was not set up for success. It, 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 it all it all comes together. I always use the, the phrase um, wounded warriors, mm -hmm. right? Like, or wounded healers, excuse me. When you think of like therapists, we've had our own wounds and through healing our wounds by way of counseling, usually we, we tend to seek a desire to help others. And you have so much practical experience outside of just book knowledge. Living, living with a partner who's currently in the military and being a military spouse gives you a whole nother perspective because it's not just something you're reading in a book. When those couples come into your office, you know what it's like to be in their shoes. And you also talked about characteristics that align with our marriage underdog brand with statistics that may not cor correlate directly to your relationship, but indirectly impact that. And our family of origin. So having parents that divorced, or may not have been able to develop healthy relationships. And one of the luxuries of our work, we get reminded on how to do it the right way every day. <laughs> right mm -hmm. now, if we decide to use it or not is one thing, but we are reminded of it. I want you to also um, share a little bit more about the approaches you take with military couples. So start, for example, like, um, from the assessment phase, like if, if if a military person is listening now or a spouse is listening now and they want to reach out to you and they're nervous and they're concerned, right? Like what what about like the confidentiality? Um, some people might think, well, if I'm in therapy and I'm in the military, is it going to impact my spouse's, you know, job? Can you can you share some light on that process for those that might be listening that want therapy and they're in the military, but they, they're afraid of, of, of utilizing the services because of how it might impact their job? Yes. Yeah. So the typically the concern of will this impact my job is around will the service member receive a mental health diagnosis as part of right. the work? Absolutely. So there, there are several um, services that are provided by the military, such as Military One Source um, in the Navy. It's called Fleet and Family Services is another resource, um, but there should be some sort of family advocacy um, program on every base, whether it's Marine or Army or Air Force as well. And they provide um, free non-medical counseling to service members and service member families. And so that is one avenue that they could get um, free marriage counseling mm -hmm. and they would not receive a mental health diagnosis. If they go out in town somewhere, someplace that's not military based um, to use their TRICARE insurance, there does have to be a mental health diagnosis. The way that people tend to get around that is to have the civilian spouse be the primary patient on record. And mm. so that way the spouse has something like depression or anxiety, whatever, an adjustment disorder, because the husband just got back from deployment, whatever it is. And right. that is another way that it protects 
the service member. Um, of course, then you can uh, pay just out of pocket oh, and not use yeah. insurance and see somebody in the community. And that doesn't, there's, I mean, a mental health diagnosis is not a requirement for counseling. <laughs> it's I'm only a yeah, it's only required for insurance. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you're bringing this topic up because even for those that are listening that may not be in the military and you're calling around trying to find a counselor, that's not explained to most people. Most mm -hmm. people don't realize that when you use insurance by law, by definition, it's for mental health emergencies. Yeah. And a lot of couples that are coming in, there's an emergent see need there's an urgent need there's an emergency within the relationship that needs to be healed or fixed but that may not always render or warrant you know a mental health diagnosis but to use insurance one has to be given i'm yeah. so glad you brought that point out and um you you know in your private practice do you, you take insurance as well or do you do um just all yeah. service right yes yeah i'm private pay so and that um, protects the clients Yes, it does. I have a lot of people who um, want to work with me because I'm not affiliated with the military because they have those concerns, mm -hmm. even though there are there are ways around it. Um, there's also some quality. <laughs> I think there's some quality concerns as well when when it comes to things like military one source. My my husband and I went through military one source. Um, for our premarital counseling. And we were matched with somebody who didn't even do couples counseling. She she sometimes worked with foster kids, but she was predominantly a professor. So I, I just, we had a really negative experience with Military One Source. So while there are um, free resources, there's also oftentimes a quality issue with something that comes for free. So a lot of people will come to me because of the more expert training, um, but also because I'm not affiliated with the military. Absolutely. And you're bringing out a harsh reality in our country. Mm -hmm. Quality marriage counseling is a luxury. Yes. And, and, and I hate to say it that way, but it's, 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 it's really true because my wife and I, we've actually gone down that path, you know, to find marriage counselors. And when you, when you seek out someone that is an expert in their craft, one is supply and demand. They're not enough quality trained marriage counselors for the need. Two, when you think about insurance companies, they put all these parameters on how to provide treatment. And there's mm -hmm. something in particular, like for example, when I do my therapy, the first session, I always do a minimum of 90 minutes. So I can do a quality assessment and I can track what the needs are and I can develop a comprehensive treatment plan that fits the client versus with the insurance, I have to make the client fit the billable note and I can't have the freedom and flexibility to integrate different modalities because not all treatment modalities are covered by insurance. And I want you to speak more on EFT. I know that was uh, the model you mentioned that you fell in love with. Can you give yeah. our listeners, and I know it's really tough to do this, especially from being an expert in the model, but could you dumb it down and just give yeah. the listeners a basic overview 
of the value of EFT and why it's one of the golden standards in our craft of marriage and couples counseling. Yes, yeah. So um, in emotionally focused couple therapy, there are three stages and the the research is pretty clear that people have the most benefit if they go through all three, although it is pretty common that couples will feel um, sat satisfied after the first stage and, and choose to end at that point. Um, stage one is maybe communicating for understanding. So oftentimes couples have uh, maybe conflict arguments around a variety of topics, but the way that they um, argue, the way that their conflict plays out has a very similar pattern to it every single time. And so they end up in these conversational spirals. I have one couple that I work with that calls it a death spiral. And I think that is a really good phrase because it feels incredibly painful for both people when this communication spiral gets spiraling and feels very out of control. Um, so the first stage is about looking at what is your specific kind of communication spiral, what's the pattern that all of your conflict seems to be having. And usually that comes from ways that I am, we're both emotionally reacting to each other. And, and then when I, when I'm react, when I emotionally react, then you start emotionally reacting and we go back and forth. Right. Um, so a lot of that is, can we slow it, slow it down? So that way you both can have more emotional awareness of what, what is happening that, that makes you want to react. Can you start communicating that in a clear way, uh, not to change anything, but just to create understanding between the two of you? So that way, um, so that way one- That brings, that brings me to the parts, point. So, so one of the things I always tell couples is uh, listening doesn't have to lead to consent. And it feels like in that first stage, if you're on this death spiral or in this toxic cycle, the partners are now focused on feeling right versus feeling heard. It sounds like that phase could evoke a lot of defensiveness. Yes, yeah, like if, if um, yeah, if they are focused on being right, sometimes it's even both are focused on being heard, but neither one feels heard. Oh, and okay. They can get defensive. They could get defensive from that as well. Um, but yes, yeah, they're they're not working towards getting understanding first. Um, or they're not conveying that they are understanding their partner before responding. So, and that can be tough, especially when you're used to not listening and you're used to speaking to only be heard. And you said slowing down in that phase. I believe that was really important. And that's all in the first phase. Yes, yeah, the first, the first phase is the longest, tends to be the longest for people. So um, yeah, and, and that phase sort of ends when they have the ability to both 
um, pause a spiral like that uh, and communicate clearly about what is going on emotionally for each other without the spiral then starting up again. Gotcha. And, and then that would make sense why that phase is usually the one people want to stop at. Cause it's like, all right, we have this master skill. We're not in these volatile conflicts or the heated arguments. Everything's kind of simmered down. We're good to go. Now, the research shows that all three phases create better outcomes. So what's the next phase after you get to that point where you're able to slow down and understand each other? Yeah, so in in the second stage of the therapy, we're really looking at what were some of the underlying relationship fears that were causing the cycle to begin with. Yeah. And that this often stems back to past relationships, things in childhood with your parents. If I, um, if I felt, um, abandoned, rejected, that no one loved me, that I wasn't wantable, these sorts of really deep fears that can happen for people, helping couples be able to talk about that level of fear that they have in their relationship. And if needed to directly ask for reassurance. Um, or comfort or what what it is that they need um, in that moment when their fears come up. Um, and that is sort of the the second stage of the work that both people are are able to do that. And then the third phase is using basically all the skills you've learned so far and through the therapy process to address any other, things that haven't been addressed. Like if parenting concerns are starting to come up, how do we do this together? It wasn't quite the focus before, but now you can use the same skills to address any uh, anything like that. Gotcha. Man, that's pretty intensive. And within the stages, I know there's steps. Mm -hmm. Now, can the steps in stages be done you know, do they have to be done in an order? Does that have to be linear? Like step one, step two, phase one, phase two? Or do you find that in your work, even in phase one, you may go a little bit further, a little bit faster and pull out family of origin in phase one, even though you're not already, you know, completing, you haven't completed the, the ability for couples to hear each other all the way, but you're talking about the family piece. Or does it all have to be done in a specific order? Um, I think I would I would go with what the couple brought me. So I'm I'm using a particular process to help us go through the stages, and um, whatever the content is, whatever the topic they want to talk about, I can do what I need to do to help us move forward, regardless of the topic. So if a couple wanted to be talking about that, we could talk about it and I could keep us in the process. Um, but I probably, I, I'm looking at that sort of thing when I'm doing my assessment, but I'm not necessarily, I'm not generating topics for the couple because I'm trying to help facilitate changing that spiral, which is the way that they go about talking about the topics. So they can bring me any topic <laughs> and we're going to talk about, okay, how can you start talking about this in a new way? 
what you just shared, this is my opinion, is the cornerstone of what makes a licensed marriage and family therapist or a trained EFT counselor different than your generic therapist. Mm-hmm. And just to highlight, in layman's terms, you said the process is always going to supersede the content. When couples come into counseling, they're focused on content. Who was right? What happened? There's always going to be new content as long as you're married or you're with your partner. The therapist teaches you how to take any content or any story or any problem or issue and walk it through a process where it can be dissected and understood because at the end of the day, the emotions that are evoked are really are what gonna are gonna be the factors that make or break the relationship. Yes. Yeah. I think um I think that does make a difference. I, I think you and I probably share a similar pet peeve uh around people who are not trained in marriage and family therapy or or EFT and who end up sort of dabbling. <laughs> in couples therapy. Now talk about the dangers because I don't want people just to be listening like, oh, you're just you're just one of those researchers. You're hating on the 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 field or oh you're you're no I, I'm I'm upset more so to see people get damaged by therapy, which is supposed to be a tool to be used to help. It's not a, a jab at people that want to help other people. I think there's an unintentional harm that's not talked about. Can you share the why? <laughs> uh, gosh, that's a there. There's so much there. So let me see if I can organize my thoughts thoughts real fast. Um, one, there there are a couple of cornerstones, uh, I think, to marriage and family therapy that are not um, that are missing when somebody doesn't have. Uh, adequate training in their background, and they've just kind of worked as an individual therapist. Um, One is being able to stay neutral Mm -hmm. between the couple and to be able to validate both sides, be able to see the situation from both people's perspective, stay neutral, and then try to see how the puzzle pieces fit together. So often I'll have couples who Say we tried a marriage counselor in the past, but they took they took the other person's side, and that can feel um, really painful to the and you know invalidating, and it can also make it harder for someone to then go get help. It sort of damages the reputation of marriage counseling because then if somebody had a bad experience with a marriage counselor who actually wasn't very well trained. Um, other people may then be hesitant to actually seek help. Mm-hmm. Um, part of this is also education about um, what is needed when looking for uh, a marriage counselor or a relationship therapist. Um, back, back to the taking side piece. That tends to happen when someone's not trained because they get caught up in content and not process. The therapist has to be mindful that the counselor's job isn't to be so immersed in the content that they lose sight of the processes. Our job as therapists 
to create and maintain the balance for structure. We want to win that battle for structure while losing the battle for initiative. The initiative is that couple who wants to do the homework, wants to come on time, wants to be open to the strategies, the techniques, and the approaches. The therapist creates a container or a, or a place where that can happen. And the content, once again, is always going to change. But what I see is that you have untrained professionals that have done something in their own relationship that worked, and then they believe that that one thing is going to work across every relationship. So they got one tool. And when that tool doesn't work, they then blame the client versus taking it in on themselves to realize they don't have enough training. Because one of the things about marriage and family therapists, we're very model driven in terms of our training and how we're taught. But I use the analogy like a golfer, right? Even if you don't play golf, you understand the concepts to get a ball in a hole, right? And there are different clubs you use. The clubs are used based on where the ball's at. The driver has a larger head to hit the ball farther. The putter is more narrow to hit the ball closer to the hole. So the same way a therapist, a LMFT, has a model or have models in our pocket to pull out, we're using the models based on where the ball or where the client lands, where they show us where they need us to be. And I believe that that's not taught by all therapists or to all therapists, excuse me. They're not taught that. Um, and instead, we they go in and they're just trying to do one thing. If it doesn't work, they throw their hands up. I, I, I know you can have, I know you have this experience. How many times have you been in therapy and you have to change your approach in the midst of doing something, you have to do something else because it just didn't work. Um, you don't take it personal. You're just like, oh, I got to try something else. Uh, you have to be equipped with the skills to do that though, right? Yes, I, I really like that golf analogy because it. I think you're right. They um, they come up with like a tool or go, go on date nights. Why didn't date nights fix everything for you? Right. Uh, sort of like one, uh, yeah, one, um, like using the putter to then do your, whatever that initial shot is. Rivalry, yeah. Yeah. Um, it didn't work. You know, what's wrong? It's like, because there's so many different complex people and relationships. And then the other piece I think that um, I want you to speak on treating the relationship as its own entity. Mm -hmm. And that helps prevent taking sides because the side that the therapist is on is the relationship side. What do we do collectively to help the couples come together in that shared space, which is the relationship? And I want you to talk on that. Like, how do you work with couples to treat the relationship and not get caught up on the two individual people? Yeah, that is a great question. It's, I'm having a, a memory because I am um, teaching a class, um, like an introduction to working with couples and families right now. And the, the students had to do role plays. <laughs> and this was one of the challenges that I saw for a lot of the students, which is normal for their where they're at in their learning development, right? But they would say things like, um, it, it was a role play with a mom and a child. 
um, but very similar. They would say things like, mom, you need to understand where the kid is coming from, or a kid, you need to understand where mom is coming from without first um, validating where the mom was coming from or where the kid was coming from. And that is part of what um, a marriage and family therapist does. And, a, and a, somebody who's actually trained in EFT is I can validate the difficulty of this situation for you without invalidating what the other partner is going through or their perspective on how how it is. And that is part of treating the relationship as an entity because you're constantly moving. You're moving from, I'm looking at the relationship dynamic and how the puzzle pieces go together and the process that you both are in to help change that. But then I also have to be able to come close emotionally to both of you to understand your individual perspectives, validate how painful and uncomfortable that is for, for you, but then also be able to move the process back out and link that into, yeah, when, when you are in so much pain because you're feeling not heard, that's when you start um, shouting at your partner to try to be heard. That makes so much sense to me that when you feel a lot of pain at not being heard, you try harder to get heard. But then to link that back to the process of then when you try to get heard, when you do that in a way that's yelling, um, your partner then has a reaction to that yelling and they don't actually ever hear about the hurt feelings that you have. Absolutely. One of the things you're bringing to mind now as you speak, the luxury of learning the different models and theories, they all overlap. Mm -hmm. They overlap in a lot of unique ways, but yet they're very similar because what you just described was extracting the problem from the person, right? And that's a narrative approach. So like when you know one approach or another approach, you can combine them because the interventions may be the same across different approaches. So approaches may share the same interventions, but they're different in nature based on the theorists that developed it or some different nuance, but they can be similar. And what you just described, I always share with couples like, hey, you're not the problem. She's not the problem or he's not the problem. Let's make the problem the problem, right? Yeah. And, and, and taking that identity away from the problem of, of the person having the identity of, of them being the problem, right? And, and when you do that, it creates a fair space where neither partner feels like a side's being taken or they're feeling um, judged or 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 accused of being the issue. Because no nobody wants to be the problem, right? And that's the issue with even going back to our initial dialogue around insurance. Can't build two people's insurance. So it's almost humorous. I had a supervisor. He said, um, yeah, when you build insurance for couples counseling, you're basically asking which couple wants to be the problem. So who wants to be the billable problem, right? Like who wants the diagnosis? And um, that brought that brought um, that topic to mind. I know our time is running out and I wanna ask you as, as we close, cause this has been phenomenal. I really appreciate your insight and our dialogue went in a different direction. For the most part, we wanted to focus on EFT, which we did, but I love just you sharing your thoughts around what, couples who are listening now like they may need therapy how to select a therapist the military piece was huge 
and the 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 component of making sure that couples know a well-trained therapist does not pick sides and the confidentiality component of why insurance may not be a good fit if you're looking for high quality therapy for couples work um i want i want to close out what what projects if any are you working on um how can clients connect with you are you taking new clients um i know you're doing a lot of telehealth work just in closing share share with with the with the listeners a little bit about how they can interact with you yeah i'm i'm happy to do that so i, I am taking new clients i'm licensed in several states because we move around all the time with the military um i think i'm licensed in like six states um, but South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, Maryland, Nevada, Arkansas. Um, and my counseling practice is elizabethplinskycounseling.com. You can find all the information there for both like your kind of typical weekly counseling and weekend long intensives. Um, I also do therapist supervision in emotionally focused therapy, and that is on that website as well. And for military couples um, in particular, I have a podcast called the Communicate and Connect podcast for military relationships. And that is um, uh, like a resource for, for military couples where we go over some general marriage counseling, to, like marriage information, but also applying it to um military specific stressors like deployments and reintegration. And yes, yeah, that's my counseling practice. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Um, I will definitely have yeah, that's, that's the podcast. So you can find the, you can get to the podcast um, from the counseling website as well. Um, they're linked to each other. But I think that you know, we, we did not get to do as much, but it's, there are extra barriers for military couples to get um, marriage counseling services. And so my hope with this podcast was to be able to provide some things for military couples in particular to be able to work on hopefully improving their relationship. Um, even in the times when they couldn't access because their partner is deployed or because they have shift schedule work or whatever it is. Oh. Definitely. I'm, I'm so glad that we had you on and uh, it's not uncommon to have guests on again as well. So I'd, I'd love to um, schedule an opportunity to have you back on and focus more on the military families and couples that you work with, especially just to highlight once again, the fact that you are in the position as a military spouse, you you walk every day in those shoes. So the level of empathy is different than someone that just works with couples in the military versus someone who works with couples in the military and is a military spouse themselves. So I just want to highlight and thank you for your service because this is it's a family ordeal. Uh, you as a spouse are serving right alongside your service um, partner. So it, it's a family ordeal. It's not just one person. And I and I want to highlight that and, and applaud you as well for, for your support, for your husband and, and just keeping the family together while he's doing the things that he has to do. And then the travel, 
that that takes toll as well. As soon as you get rooted in one community with friends and social networks, or even professionally, you got to move again. So that's dedication and commitment. Uh, Thank you, Dr. Polinski. I'm just thankful you were on. Um, those that have been listening, you, you've been tuning into the Marriage Underdogs Radio Show podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Chris A. Matthews. We launch a new episode every Tuesday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, also YouTube. Um, once again, Dr. Polinski, thank you. And for those that have tuned in, we appreciate it. Like, leave comments. And um, hopefully this was an a episode that, that provided value.